Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Muncie First Brethren Church with Pastor Jim Garrett. This week, Pastor Garrett will dive into how Jesus deals with anger. We find that while Jesus got angry, his actions were not dictated by his anger, but were determined by his compassion. Here's Pastor Garrett. Well, you know, last week we uh, started this discussion of uh, dealing with anger, and we've, we've done this in, in a series as, as far as looking at a lot of the uh, emotional navigation that we have to do, and, and anger is certainly one of them. And we know that uh, uh, resident anger can show up in lots of ways and, and uh, uh, might, might be something that is uh, expressed in, in the form of a temper, uh, you know, rather than being able to resolve it's, it's, uh, and to respond, it's reactionary. Or it might, be, it might show up in terms of bitterness, where it becomes kind of a resolution. It becomes the makeup of uh, or the constitution of a person. And that's what happens when anger is not dealt with and, and, and becomes, uh, just becomes a part of the working uh, the, the characteristics of that person, and, and we know that uh, bitterness and misery, they do indeed love company. And that's why, that's why in Hebrews we see that, you know, be sure that that root of bitterness does not take place, does not grow up within you, because it will defile others. It, it, it can't stand to be alone. But in that journey, we promised to look at, uh, we looked at some of the passages last week that, that kind of form an understanding, our principles about be angry but don't sin, do not go to bed while angry, don't let the sun set on your wrath. And, and certainly there were, were uh, uh, good discussions about why that is necessary and what happens. And then the following verse says, and don't give a place to the enemy, don't give Satan a foothold. He loves to take advantage of things where we don't trust God to deal with the, the, the areas within our lives, and especially in terms of conflict. And so when we come to uh, uh, those discussions of uh, conflict and resolution and, and resolving that with one another, it becomes important that we don't let anger determine what we do next. There might be good reasons to be angry, and that's one of the things that we see within Scripture is that it, it doesn't say you will never be angry, but, but to make sure that, 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 doesn't, that that's not the catalyst for your actions. Anger, as James says, will not accomplish the righteousness of God. So for a case study this morning, I'd like for us to look at Jesus in Mark 3. It's actually the only place in the Gospels where the word anger is used to describe a feeling that Jesus has. Now, it's implied in other places. When he cleansed the temple, we have to assume that when you fashion of, uh, uh, something like a whip and drive people out, that there was some passion involved. But it doesn't say he was angry. And so uh, we, we could assume that and see uh, how he responded but, and what he said there. Um, but this is one place, and so I chose this place because it actually says that he was angry uses that word to say this was something going on within him. But I want us to see that as that happens, his actions are not determined by his anger. His actions are determined by his compassion, both for the man that's being used as a test and towards those who are testing him. 
So he's in the synagogue on another Sabbath, and if you read chapter 2, you'll see that, that this is going on right now. They're trying to catch them, and at one time they saw Jesus with his disciples, and the disciples were walking through a grain field, and they were a little hungry, and they would, they would reach down and, and, and rub some of the, the grain and, and, and eat that as they went along. Well, from the religious perspective, the, the pharisaical perspective, that was work. That's how closely they were being watched, by the way. Someone was watching them and saying, why are you letting your disciples do what is, what is uh, uh, um, restricted on the Sabbath? And Jesus, of course, took them back to David in the time that they ate the bread that was reserved only for the priests in the temple. He says, the Sabbath was not made, or man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, here's another event. On a Sabbath day, he's in the synagogue, and it says a man with a shriveled hand was there. Don't know exactly what caused it. Don't know what, what, what was there, but he was not there. He was a prop. He was a test. They were watching Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, think about what's going on in the Pharisees' minds right here when they know that Jesus is capable, able, and probably will heal this man. They want to use that to go after him. And so they bring a man to set Jesus up. They know that this is what, what he will do, and yet their, their mindset is, we don't care about the man with the shriveled hand. We don't care about the fact that we could have brought some others in here as well. We just want to see if Jesus will violate our law. So in verse 3 it says, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Stand up and, and, and come to me. In verse 4, Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? They weren't going to give any thought to that. And so it says that they remained silent. They didn't say anything. They didn't answer that. And there's a lot to that question. Um, but Jesus looks around at them in anger. I don't know about you, but this, this phrase, he looked at them in anger. What would an angry look from Jesus be like? How many of you have someone in your life that when they look at you and, you, and they're not happy, you know it? <laughs> like, like, husbands and wives are pointing at one another. Like, you, they don't have to say a word, right? You just know. You know that when they're unhappy, you, you can see that. And you know that, I, I'm pretty sure that, that they knew that Jesus was not happy, but he was deeply distressed. It says he was, he was saddened at their stubborn hearts. Knowing what they were trying to do and how they were using this man. And so he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. His anger did not keep him from seeing what was important in, in offering this moment to the man who needed the healing. And while they wanted to catch him and, in fact, got him to do exactly what they wanted him to do, they missed it. And that's why he was sad. 
because their hearts were so stubborn and they thought they understood what the Messiah would be. They knew Jesus could heal this man. They brought him just to see if he would, not in order to honor or acknowledge him, but to trap him. And the next verse tells and says it all, that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians. These are those who were, who were faithful to King Herod and not necessarily religious people, but they sure hated Jesus because they would present him as an enemy of the state, the enemy of the governor, and so they thought they used this and went together and they were trying to kill him. So as we look at this as a case study, it would be interesting to know what led up to this moment. What, what had Jesus' day been like before he got there? Had there been any negative experiences? Had things gone wrong? What, you know, those are some of the things that are missing, but, and it would be good to have those answers. And interestingly enough, just for us, there's been a new archaeological discovery that Jesus did indeed keep a diary that day. So let's see what he said. I got up early this morning. Oh, it's dreary outside. Not really raining, just kind of that misty stuff, you know. And it's just enough to make things muddy. It means I'm probably going to have dirty feet all day. To top that off, when I started out, I, of course, stubbed my toe, and that whole thing about the angels having this message to protect me from doing that, someone didn't get the message today. Well, here we are at noon, hungry. We're in the marketplace, but the place we need to go is on the other end. It's kind of our favorite, and then we just head out of town to enjoy our food. And sure enough, as we make our way, we're staying with the flow. Everybody's moving along really well, and I saw it coming. These three women were standing on the side and making their way out into the flow. But apparently they don't recognize flow. They came out in front of us and they only knew slow. And so we waited. And don't they know we're hungry and need to get to the end? It, it made me sing my song again. Jesus loves you. You don't know. It's not so easy when you move this slow. Please don't rush, just take your time. We will grin and wait in line. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. But some days it's not so easy. It was either that song or the sandals are made for walking. I don't know which one would have been best. And then last, at the end of the day, I had to put up with James and John again. They argue about everything. Can they sit next to me? Which side? Who, which is the right side? Next time I see Zebedee, we're going to have a little talk about his disciplining techniques because I'm pretty sure that while he might be called Thunder, and these are the sons of Thunder, he should have lowered the boom a little more often. It was amazing to me in reading his diary how much he's like me. I, did, I, I, was, I was stunned. There, there are all of these things that for us show up and and affect and create moments that when we think about the factors, I mean, are, are, do we recognize 
when we're at the point of tipping. And that's one of the things, the scriptural principles is, you know, this idea of emptying yourself so that the Holy Spirit can fill you. The reason that's important is because if you don't let him do that, you will get full. That that cup will, will contain something. And it's attitude and, and, and your, your, um, how you've handled conflict or how you've handled those situations. And, and if we don't resolve them, this is where anger becomes at the forefront of our reactions. So, so even at the outset, that's one of the first things that we have to recognize. Where am I? What, what's going on within me? And it is interesting that sometimes conflicts that could just be handled without much ado, when we have not taken care of that inner working, we get to that simple conflict and it becomes a lot bigger than it would have to. How many of you have said something where you've let anger control what you say next? How many of you have found that that was constructive? Good, no hands. I I mean... Very rarely will the words that come out of our anger be constructive. Anger demands attention. And when anger is given that place, so again, there might be a legitimate reason to be angry, but at the moment we allow anger to dictate what we say next, it delegitimizes the concern. You lose perspective on the concern because we lash out rather than Respond, And so when we look at some of the action steps, and, and again, do not forget what we talked about last week. To have those things in mind, and the, the idea, and we're going to see some more of it today, of getting rid of those things that, that actually contribute to that, that re- reaction that comes from uh, things building up. And, and so over and over again, we see get rid of all of these things. Don't let them be a part of a working part of who you are. So in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And, and as was mentioned last week, that principle holds true as well as, you know, uh, my wife and I made the mistake early on. We learned from it, thankfully, but when uh, we had only been married a couple of years we just moved to a new apartment, and we got into an argument about something. I'm sure it was her fault, but I, I'm, I don't even remember what it was about. And you're all going, yeah, right. It, it was probably my fault. And in, in any event, as we were discussing this, we were mad. We got even more mad. And in, in anger, Elizabeth walked out of the apartment, got in her car, and drove away. To which I promptly responded, responded, notice, by punching the door and putting a hole through it. Yes, we had to pay for that door. But I realized very, very quickly that I did not like the separation when the last thing that we said to one another was in anger. And so I remember sitting there thinking, never again. I don't care what the issue, this can never happen again. And so when, when she got back, I do remember the conversation we had afterwards, and it was, all right, you know, we're going to have disagreements, but never again will one of us drive off in anger. 
We didn't have cell phones back then. You didn't have ways to connect. What if something had happened? So, so we kind of made rules about how this would happen. If you need to walk off, because I, I, I'm the kind of person that you're gonna, we're going to deal with it right now, and Elizabeth's the kind of person that says, well, you may want to deal with it right now, but I'm going to process it a little bit. And so it, it, we said, if you, need to, if you need to walk off and take time and, and, and breathe, which is wise and certainly wiser than sometimes the uh, need for immediacy, but, but in any event, these, this became a part of our structure, and that's, that, that, goes, that does fit very well with the idea of not letting the sun uh, go down on your wrath. It's just it's just good thing to do. What are some of the things that we can do? the The first thing we have to do is that we have to see and identify what contributes to our anger or our temper. Are we getting enough rest? Is there stress going on in our lives? Are there situations that you know sometimes things are going on at work and we bring them home or or, or things just become unsettled and others around us are tense and we feel it. And, and, and in response to that, we sometimes let, let that build up. And again, we, we talk about and have talked about, and this is true in anger as well, if we let things build up, it creates a filter by which everything will go through. It's the only place I will tell people to compartmentalize in, in that they will look at the, the situations of their lives, the stress factors, and you need to be able to deal with stress factors independent of other stress factors. If we don't, they will start just attaching to one another and become one big glob. And then when you do go through something that shouldn't be as big as that, it becomes as big as your glob. It has to. Because that's the filter you've put in place to receive any new events. And so part of our training in seeing and identifying it, our self-training and helping others is to say, okay, this stress factor has to be dealt with for itself. It's got its own place, its own value, and we want to move in response to it based on what needs to be done for it, for, for, you know, for that uh, for that event or that circumstance or that situation and, and to handle each of those that way. And it's not as easy as it sounds when you just say it, but it is critically and vitally important that we're able to do that, to see it, identify it, know what triggers are in me, know what it is that, that pushes my buttons, and then to communicate those to those that, that I care about. And, and to do it in a way, not in the heat of argument, and, and quite frankly, this needs to be done, because if you don't communicate it, and, and you think, well, I'm the only one that knows my buttons, uh, nope. All those around you, they know your buttons. And if you, and if you can talk about it before, um, you know, we start pushing one another's buttons, why do we do that? We, get, we want to get a reaction. We're trying to drive home a point. And so when you know how, the, how you function, then, then as you see it and identify it, that's going to be the first step to understand, again, what's going on within me. And then that gives you the opportunity to delay it. 
So Proverbs says a couple of things about this. It's better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. It doesn't say that, that you don't have anger again. It's, it's that you are able to bring calm in the midst of it. Take a time out. Um, if, it, if it stems from something legitimate, then, then take the time to examine what's going on, but don't lose sight of the cause. And that, that, that again, especially in a relational type of, of atmosphere, there can be legitimate things that, that can, can kind of stir anger. Let them remain legitimate. Don't let anger dictate your reaction to them. Be able to weigh and value, uh, uh, evaluate and measure the, 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 the legitimate cause on its own merits. And anger might be very, very helpful, in fact, because there are certain physiological things that happen when that, when that you know, is created in us. But it's not to be the catalyst for our reactions. It is, to, it is to move us back to get us to a place that we can respond and then keep the concern and, and, and its legitimacy, keep it intact. The moment, again, we react and the moment we let anger take over, the, the original concern loses value. And, and we see that happen all the time. I, I, all of you can probably think of examples where that, where that has happened. The third thing we want to do is to have some sense of controlling it. So when the anger comes, how do we measure it? How do we then step back? And again, this is being aware of what you need to do to, to, to work through this. Um, always know that the words that follow are supposed to be constructive, not destructive. The right, or, or the, let, let's not call it the right, the 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 fact that there are things that will make us feel anger does not legitimize every word that follows. In fact, we're supposed to control it in a way that our words may be a response to, to what has happened, but not, not as a, not as a uh, um, right that flows from our anger. And so as we learn to control it, then we will find that we are being constructive rather than destructive. And this we again find in Ephesians 4.26 where it says, In your anger do not sin, do not, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So the shift, remember we've talked about how our responsibility is different as believers, as followers of Jesus. The shift is even, even when this is a relational conflict, our view is supposed to be how can I build them up rather than how can I express my, my feelings? How can I legitimize how I feel? We're supposed to be aware of their needs and our words then are to benefit, edify those who are listening. And that's literally what it means, that we are to build them up, not, not just that they feel better about themselves, because that may not be the right goal. To edify someone, to build them up, may mean that as we speak 
and Paul talks about this earlier in chapter 4, we're going to speak truth in love, and we are going to always uh, um, let that be kind of the, the, the parameters or the, the, uh, the way that we function together. So it may be that when we say words that build someone up, that, that that's exactly what we need to do. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. So, and, and this is an interesting dynamic. Something causes you to feel anger, and, and you may feel and know it's legitimate. What's the biblical instruction? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. The anger is just making you aware of, of what caused it. And like Jesus in Mark 3, it's not going to generate what you do next. It gives value to what, what, what fed into that, that feeling and that emotion. But at that moment, we actually, in obedience, are supposed to get rid of it. So immediately, our focus has to change, not on, you've made me angry, or this makes me angry, but but to, to go through this process that we can let it go. So you don't give vent to your anger, but you may need to constructively talk about, you know, the situation that caused it. I, I, when I worked at Marsh and as a supervisor, and Dallas can attest to this, there were some, there were supervisors and guys on the floor that, I, first I saw it as a clerk. So one guy would come through the door, something out in the warehouse made him unhappy. And so Mike would come through the door, and he didn't come through the door like this. You knew, you knew just because Mike came in and he would punch the metal door. The metal door would go against the cinder block wall. I was in the other room, and I stood up and go, oh boy, we're, we're, there's going to be a show. Because then... Frank would stand up out of his chair, and you know, in the whole time that they talked to one another, the issue of what was wrong never came up once. They sat no, or stood nose, well, Frank was shorter. They stood nose to nose, yelling at one another, screaming profanities at one another, and then they would walk away, and, and you would think that they solved the world's problems when they never once talked about anything constructive. <laughs> when I first had interactions with this other guy named Mike, he did that to me. And I was young, just started on days as a supervisor. I fired him. I sent him home on a day where he was working overtime. Called him in, I, I went out to the situation and he I, I was his, actually, I was a little taller than he was, but he was looking right at me. And then I said, all right. So I turned around, went back into the office, and called him in and the union steward and my boss and wrote him up and sent him home. Because that's what the job description said, what our, our, our manual or standard operating procedure was. And they go, you know this isn't going to stick. I said, I know it's not because supervisors talk just as badly to you, as, but I don't need that. We got nowhere. 
And I said, you have to trust me that I care about what you care about, and we'll get there. And, and, and I was thankful. That was after several years of... Uh, it, it, it was tough because if you, if you put these principles into place, it will work. Mike and I never had another problem after that. Now, Mike and Frank, they always had a problem. That was never something that got worked out. But, but it was something that, in fact, when I left there, we left as friends and had a very good conversation. And Mike has since passed away um, after a struggle with cancer. Uh, but, but those are lessons that we learn. And I will also mention that Mike had a, had a degree in psychology. Ironic, isn't it? <laughs> Not that I think psychology would always apply to Frank, but that was just the way, that's just the way it, uh, it would work out. But anger was the go-to. And so we get rid of that. Here's the converse. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And finally, settle it. So settle it doesn't mean that you let your anger get settled. That, quite the opposite. To settle it means that you are going to give way to surrender, that you're going to find what obedience looks like from the perspective that, that God, remember, goal-oriented. What should this be? So we start with the situation, we start asking the question, where, where, where would this be best seen and best experienced, and how do we get it there? So your plan then, and, and what you do next, starts reflecting that thinking. Hear yourself say, one of the ways to start this settling process, and, and don't do this in front of, of others, but, but to hear yourself again say, that makes me angry. That made me angry. Why am I upset? And you might need to ask why, why you're so upset. It might be a valid question. You might know immediately. Now, what am I going to do to help this along? And, and avoid the word fix it. Because if you're a fixer, you're going to get very frustrated because it doesn't always mean you'll be able to fix it. And that's a whole other discussion. But, but at least enable it. Move it forward in a helpful, healthful way rather than uh, just reacting. If you, if you think about those four things, see it and identify it, know your triggers, what contributes to my anger or temper outburst, is, am I getting enough rest? Is there stress involved? Do I need a, again, do I need to see a doctor even and, and have a checkup? Delay it. Don't let anger control. Don't let it become something that pushes you to the next step, but be able to step back, take a time out literally, and, and understand that, that the legitimate concern will be delegitimized if you only react, and then learn to control in the sense that you have a measured response, that you are contributing and, and being constructive rather than destructive. Now, we're going to have some other things we need to talk about, some questions that I've received uh, since last week that we need to address. They're, they're important. And some of them are, are overlaps between our ethical perspective on things like those who are on the battlefield, for instance, versus... Um, other situations that we can't do anything to control what's going on. We can't really help it. How do I keep this anger from growing into bitterness? Because it's just a constant, 
And that, that, that takes a lot of work. That's a daily, even a moment-by-moment -moment challenge. Because the situation doesn't change and what, what, what contributes to the anger is, is nonstop. And that often happens in relationships. But there is a response you can have that even in the face of that, you don't have to be controlled by it. The forgiveness aspect is something we need to talk about. Forgiving means not that you ignore what's going on, but you're able to not, uh, uh, you're not letting that situation or those things done control you and hurt you. And so you release them. And that, that principle of releasing becomes very important in, the, in that context. So we need to talk about some of those questions, and we're going to continue to do that. Sometimes, when, even when I hear myself say this, it's hard. And, and when you see the, all the dynamic, even in Scripture, and see how it's working and, and, and the realities of it, we all know it. We have those situations. But it's hard when something, you know, just it feels like it pulls you in, and, and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed, and the next thing done is, is just, almost a flow, and that's what we're trying to break up is, is that flow. Create new filters that will change that flow, and, and that's what the Bible encourages us to do. The case study with Jesus is amazing to me. He looks around at them at anger. He, he, he is upset at them, but he's able to respond in compassion, to hold those two things together, even in tension, He's, up, he, he's angry because they've set this man up. They, they know Jesus can heal him, and they, that doesn't even, think of that, that doesn't even dawn on them. Well, yeah, we know Jesus can heal. We know that that means something, but we don't care. We just have a plan against him. And so this contributes to our plan against him. And then he has compassion because of their stubbornness. Unwielding unyielding and, and completely entrenched. And that breaks his heart. And he doesn't miss the man who needs his hand healed. See, I, I would contend that if he had responded or reacted in anger, the pawn would have remained a pawn. So as as kind of that beacon of hope for us, Jesus understood from every angle and knew what he needed to do. He constructed a new hand. He did that literally. That's what we're trying to do figuratively in our situations. You determine the hand that you hold. Will you do that? It's, I know it's tough, and, and be patient. As we've said, don't beat yourself up. Allow God to work with you, and through your willingness, he will certainly show up there. And Father, I pray this morning that, you know, sometimes it just strikes me that that first step for us can be so hard to identify what's going on within me, where my triggers are, what, what do I need to take care of so that that anger does not force me into something or somewhere that I don't want to be. Father, some of us have struggled with tempers. 
that, that kind of anger that just lashes out. And, and others, Lord, were made up so that that anger just kind of settles in and yet grows right back out into bitterness uh, very negative attitudes, and Father, we don't want that. That's all destructive, and it's destructive for us. Put us in a place that we can see with your eyes, to have your heart, to be a builder, to contribute to those around us. And Father, it takes work, so may we be intentional today with our surrender and, and then with our obedience. That while we are to be angry and not sin, at the, in the same breath we're to get rid of all anger and rage and malice and slander and wrath. And Father, just help us, lead us. And we give you all the praise in advance. And, and as you continue to lead us to those safe places, those still waters, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.